Father, I thank you for these people. They have flexed, they've bent, they've risked for 17 years. They have waited for you, as I have, for the next step. And we thank you, Lord, that 10,000 steps later we're here on this January 2020 Sunday morning. You've been faithful. Even this past week, you blessed us far beyond we deserve. We thank you for our enjoyment this past week of food, clothing, education, productivity, sports, family. Lord, we have been saturated by your goodness. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness this past week to forgive us of the sins we confessed, of the failures we we fell into. Thank you, Lord, for the radiance of your smile on the face of Christ, that you look at us with love and you promise us a hope and a future. God, I pray that this people today would understand that they can shape their city and their families, their schools and their factories, their nation and their world by the words that come out of their mouth and ascend to heaven through prayer. Lord, remind us today, you have ordained that all things would be changed by the praying of your people. And may the first prayer that someone prays today be, I come to you, Christ. I come to you, God. I want to belong to you. In Jesus' name is my prayer. Amen. John 15, 8. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. That's why you pray. People see His glory. That you bear much fruit, many people seeing His glory, loving His glory. And in that way, you work in that way, you show that you are a disciple of Christ. God wants to use you greatly in the grand purpose that He has designed for this universe. He wants you to experience a life of spiritual power. It is your birthright to have a life of spiritual power. One of the main reasons that God has called you to be born again is that your life would be saturated, blessed, and anointed with spiritual power. You could participate in the works that God has for you and wherever He has placed you in your location and station in life. Through prayer, you are invited to enter the domain of angels. You're invited to talk to the God who controls the ebb and the flow of tides. You can speak to the God who determines the rise and fall of nations and the birth and death of kings. You have an opportunity to control the world with God through prayer as He extends the scepter of grace to you and says, Come into my throne room. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you 
could have prayers that would be accepted to God and that your words would have influence with the Most High King. Every moment of your life in the presence of God, you have the opportunity to ask Him to bring the joy that you have experienced with Christ into the cities and the nations and the peoples that have never encountered God. You know, if you were to ask me why I have been chosen for 17 years now to pastor this church, I think it would be that I am here as an example for you to not give up. Because if there's anybody who has failed God, if there's anybody who's, when we start talking about prayer, and we start feeling like, I know I don't value it, as I, I don't understand it as I should, I'm there with you, and yet for 33 years of ministry, 17 of them here, God has used me even though I am just taking baby steps in prayer as you are. So God didn't bring you here today to discourage you if you say, I don't have a clue about prayer. He doesn't bring people to church to discourage them. He's just inviting you to take one more step toward prayer. The Bible says, anybody can flick that for me because I can't flick it. Let's see. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ knew what he was getting involved with when he chose you. He knew you would struggle with prayer. He knew that you would struggle with all of your sins. He died for you when you did not figure it out and you still hadn't figured it out. And he loves you. So hear a message on prayer with encouragement and not condemnation. There may be many things that are mysterious about prayer, but this is the one thing that's not mysterious. Jesus Christ laid all of the emphasis on his teaching on prayer. Sometimes when I'm overwhelmed by crowds, I'll be out in the lobby and I'll see so many people coming in, I'll bounce over here and bounce over here and I just... I can't remember this person's name, and did we meet last week, and all of that. And I just think about, or when we travel, like in, a, in India, where there's just, you know, in India, the population did see us, for every one person here, add seven in India, and that's all these people. And, but I think about the life of Christ. Thousands of people every day coming to Him, wanting His healing and His touch and His teaching and His forgiveness. And what did He do? He began every day not with people, not with doing. He began every day in prayer. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Everybody was looking for him, yet he knew the maximum productivity that would come out of his life, the maximum influence he would have in the world would be if he asked his father, Ask his Father in heaven, direct my steps and anoint my influence so this day will have maximum influence in the world. Jesus asked for help because asking is the rule of the kingdom. All the things that Jesus said about prayer can be boiled down to one word. Ask, ask, ask. This is the way the kingdom moves. Charles Spurgeon pastored a in London, England, in the 19th century, and his church eventually grew to 6,000 people. And when people came to the, the metropolitan 
to, the, to see the tabernacle in London, he would always take them downstairs to a basement, and all throughout the week, his people would be gathered there praying for the Sunday service that was coming up. And he called it the powerhouse of the church, the engine of the church. And while Spurgeon preached, hundreds of people prayed for him in private, private rooms. Spurgeon himself said, for every one word I've preached, and that's 20 million, we have 20 million of his words in print, for every one word I've ever preached, I have prayed too. He understood the power of his ministry rested on prayer. I was in India a few years ago, and the director of our orphanage gathered a bunch of pastors together. He wanted to, and he said, would you come teach a leadership conference on Thursday? I said, I can't make it on Thursday, but I can make it on Friday. And he said, well, then we can't have a conference because Friday is a day of prayer. He says, the day where the pastors gather for prayer and fasting, and we'll not forfeit that day for anybody. Because they understood that's the power is in prayer. Very much different than the Western church. Today, D.A. Carson says, we have learned how to organize, build institutions, publish books, insert ourselves into the media, develop evangelistic strategies, and administer discipleship programs. But we have forgotten how to pray. So why should you care about prayer? Because the assignments that God has given you will not be accomplished apart from prayer. Look what Jesus said in John 15, 7. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. It will be given to you. The verb tense, future, middle, voice. It's exciting, isn't it? For you language nerds, future, middle, voice, which means the answer will not be generated by you. It's being reflected upon you. It will be given to you. You're asking for something, and you are not producing it. You are receiving it. What you're asking for will be given to you. I look at this verse, and you think about a, a fish that's um, it's on the beach, stranded, flopping around with all of its frenzy, can't get itself back in the water. You know what that fish needs? It needs a giant wave to come on that shore and to gather it up and bring it back to sea. This is what prayer does. We're flopping and we're frenzied, trying to do all of these things for God. And what we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon our life, to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And if you believe that your frenzy, floppy lifestyle can accomplish whatever goals you've set, you'll never be a person of prayer. Why should you care about prayer? Because it is the means by which God introduces this world to the beauty of His glory as the supreme treasure of all of earth. They will see God as most beautiful and most satisfying. This is what Jesus said in verse 7. Ask and you will bear much fruit. I love this concept of, of fruit. People ask me when we started preaching on John 15, 
What kind of fruit are we talking about? And I think it's the fruit of people. I want you to imagine a farmland. Right now it's dry, crusty, hundreds of acres. Farmer buys it, tills it up, plants seed, rain falls, and all of a sudden that land begins to grow green, beautiful fruit. Out of the deadness, life occurs. This is what Jesus wants you to see, that out of the tombs of this world, people living in spiritual death, defiant against God, uninterested in God, disbelieving in God, out of the tombs of their spiritual death and separation from God, the fruit of new life is born through your prayers. You know, Jesus told a story in John John chapter 4 of a woman she was, living, she was a promiscuous woman, involved with many men, had looked for satisfaction in sexual relationships, and man after man rejected her. She would go to another. And finally, a man came to her in John chapter 4 named Jesus, not interested in using her body, but interested in filling her body with his life and with his love and with his purity. And that one day, Jesus Christ made her new. And she was so excited that she went back to her village, a little village called Sychar. And she told the people there, all of them knew about her lifestyle. And she said, come meet the Messiah. And the Bible says the entire village walked out to meet Christ. And when they were coming out, Jesus told his disciples, as the people were coming, Jesus compared them to fruit coming out of the land. He told his disciples, I tell you, open your eyes, guys, and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He wasn't talking about the fields where the grain was growing. He was talking about these people coming out of their spiritual deadness by the masses coming to life. And the Bible says in John that he said, I'm sending you for those people. And we see life occur through our praying. What do we pray for? Just what I said a moment ago. We ask that they would see the Father's glory. All these people coming to life because they have seen that the glory of God, the beauty of God shining in the face, the radiant face of Jesus Christ, is the most satisfying and most worthy thing to be looked at in all of life. So ask that people would see the glory, the beauty, the worth, the value of God. The predominant thought in your head every day when you wake up should be, in terms of prayer, should be something like this. God, these people in my neighborhood, my workplace, my school, are missing your glory. Everything that you have given, Lord, has been given by your power and your grace. Look at me right now. I can move my fingers by his power and his grace. I'm going to eat food in a minute. My power, by his power and grace. I watched Wofford play Furman the other night and saw those guys shooting and dribbling. Power and grace makes that possible. People made coffee. You drank coffee by the power and grace of God. So 
the most right thing to do in life is to tell God, thank you. And the world's not doing that. They're not thanking Him. They're denying Him. They're suppressing Him. They're resisting Him. And they're even hating Him. Declaring Him to be their enemy. And so our prayers are, God, turn enemies into friends. Rebels into worshipers. As they say that your glory has made everything possible on earth. Jesus told us to pray that way. Matthew 6, 9, the first prayer Jesus said we should ever pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be respected on earth. Not belittled. We live in a God-belittling culture. Jesus said pray for a God-exalting culture. My heart broke yesterday as I, I just watched on the television as women in 200 cities of the world participated in this, this. I think it's the fourth women's march, advocating, advocating with the most grotesque signs, vulgar signs. We should have the right to go inside a womb where a little child is sleeping and kill it. Listen, I've done so much abortion counseling in my life. I understand when someone has been deceived by a clinic and they didn't really know what they were doing. But these people who were marching yesterday were mothers saying children inside a womb, should, they, you, you could go in there and my daughter is 20 weeks pregnant. I'm going to go bring her and her little baby, whose name will be Wells. We're going to bring him tomorrow a cookie cake with lots of icing. Because I know Mama likes it. I think he'll like it too. But I've been looking at sonograms of him since maybe week 14. And I, I cannot fathom that anybody would advocate that somebody could take little wells out of my daughter's womb and kill him. So our world belittles God, belittles the weaving of God in a life. And so we pray, God, turn their hearts back to you. They would see that you're the God of life. There's nothing right in a world that is not there's nothing right about living in denial and defiance of God. There's nothing right about living in defiance of your Creator. There's nothing right about that. So we pray that they would see the glory of God. And we beg God. We cry out to God. Lord, use everything to gain the attention of your, of your world so they would see your glory. Use nature. Waterfalls, butterflies, use science, technology. Lord, use, use food, use beauty, use music, use art. The world will see you're gloriously beautiful. Lord, but most of all, use your church. 
Use the preaching, the singing of your church. Revive the witness of your church. Bless the witness of your church. Lord, cause the disciples of your church to be purified so they'll live like disciples. So they'll go out and be good, effective, believable witnesses for Christ's name. So that in the inner city and sprawling urban areas, and especially in the massive unreached areas of the world, that the sweetest and greatest name in all the world, Jesus Christ, would be heard by those who've never heard him. That's what we pray for. That's what we pray for. John 15, for the glory of God. Matthew 6, 9, for the name of God to be hallowed. Jesus wants us to be all consumed with this global goal. Listen, you look at the world, you look at people who are not, they don't know God. It's just so easy to say it'll never happen. They're not going to believe. Listen, God has called us to a supernatural work that cannot be accomplished through natural means. He's called you to live a supernatural life that cannot be accomplished by willpower. It is only God that's going to do this. Only God moves mountains, but it is prayer that moves God. I love that that writer who said, yes, it was an angel that fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Prayer is the fuel of everything we do in this church and in this city. I love this quote. I don't know the author, but I love it. Prayer is the link. Prayer is the umbilical cord. Prayer is the link between an all-powerful, supernatural God and where we are, this material world. The link. How do you connect supernatural to material? Prayer. God rules the world through prayer. God has willed, He has willed countless blessings to come to this world. But He's also equally willed that all of those blessings will come to this earth only after people pray. It is the will of God that the will of God be enacted through prayer. It is the will of God that the will of God be enacted through prayer. So we pray bold prayers for people to see the glory of God. One of my favorite reminders of this is James 5, 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed. And the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Well, there's a lot happening between verses 17 and verse 18. Elijah was a, an 8th century prophet. The two bad guys in his particular story were it was a king named Ahab and his wicked wife named Jezebel. They were so wicked that they brought false preachers, false prophets, liars into the house of God and fed them dinner at the kitchen or the the table of the house of God. Fed religious liars. 
supported them financially. So Elijah was sent by God to say, you are belittling the name of God and you must stop. So Elijah prayed for Ahab and Jezebel and all the false prophets to see the power of God. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. And the Bible says in verse 17, it did not rain for three and a half years. Drought. We could use a little drought right now. <laughs> not three and a half years. Three and a half year drought because this one man prayed. Nobody stopped sinning. Still defiant. Hard heart. Blind eyes. Deaf ears. They still kept sinning. Doubting. So, he said, I make a challenge. All the false preachers meet me on the top of Mount Carmel. I'm going to the top of Mount Carmel, and we're going to build two altars. Build one altar to your God, and then build an altar to the living God. And I want you false preachers to pray to your God all day, and here's how we know who the true God is. Whatever God will descend on that altar and burn it up, Send a fire on that altar. That is the true and living God. Well, the false preachers prayed all day and nothing happened. Then Elijah prayed. And not only did God burn up the altar, but before he prayed, he asked them, would you pour water all over the rocks? God burned up the sacrifice, burned up the water, and burned up the rocks. And this is what he prayed. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. If you want to sort of have a litmus test of how you should pray in life, this is the prayer. God, let this world see that you're God, that they're missing you. They're living their entire life and they don't know their creator. It just turn their hearts toward you so they'll be saved and joyful. And they'll fulfill their purpose. And that's exactly what happened. When all the people saw the fire fall, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And after this, Elijah prayed seven more times. And even though it had not rained for three and a half years, after his seventh prayer, the rain came again to the land of Israel. One man's Praying did all of this. So the question today is, well, where's the God of Elijah today? God is waiting for Elijah to call on him. And I, I hope that the goal of today, it'd be a miracle of grace that you would say, I'm going to leave this church today and pray Elijah-like prayers for my world. I'm going to pray like Isaiah commanded us to pray. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work. Edith Schaefer, the wife of philosopher Francis Schaefer, was once asked, interesting question, who is the greatest Christian in the world? Her answer was, I doubt we know her because she probably is on some sick bed in a slum in Calcutta, moving the arm of God because all she has to do every day is pray. She has no other hope. 
like the widow in Luke 18 who goes to the judge and asks for help because she has no other recourse against the injustice that's being done to her. All she can do is ask the judge for help. Jesus says, ask God in the same way in Luke 18, and you keep asking and don't give up. Karl Barth says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Prayer is a declaration of war, not against people, but against evil. We pray because we hate evil. I was on the phone yesterday with a friend in another city from here, and he just asked me to pray because somebody that serves on the volunteer team with him at the church, the daughter, just found out she's uh, addicted to Lanex uh, or uh, Xanax that's been laced with Xanax that's laced with a methamphetamine, and she almost died this weekend. And my friend told me, I hate evil, and I hate that Satan loves to cause pain and break up families. And that's what he does. So through prayer, we plead the case of people who've been captured by the powers of darkness. We plead the case of orphans and widows and all who share in their helpless estate. Through prayer, we speak for bruised and broken lives that cannot speak for themselves. And we lift them up and we carry them into the throne room of God. And the world will tell us every time that we dedicate ourselves to prayer, we're wasting our time. And we resist that. We will not let our flame be quenched, but we agree with Helmut Tilke who said, the world lives by these uplifted hands and by nothing else. So that's the tone of John 15. Praying for fruit to come out of lifeless tombs of spiritual death, praying for people to come alive, praying for people to see that the most supreme, beautiful treasure in life is the glory of God as seen in the radiant face of Jesus Christ. We pray for that. So, now we have to ask, will our prayers be effective? Yes, depending on one other qualification in John 15. If, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask. This is the qualification. Eight times in John 15, eight times in verses 1 through 10, the writer says, if you remain, then you can ask. Some of your translations say, if you abide, you may ask. But the secret to powerful praying is a remaining and abiding with Christ, which raises the question, how can I know that I'm abiding with Christ? He tells us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. The primary way that we abide with Jesus Christ is that we love Him by loving His words. And His words soak into our life. They saturate our life. They influence our life 
So there's no difference in the mind of Christ between himself and his words. And his words are having influence over every of our life, taking captive every thought, conforming them to the thoughts of Christ. In 1987, Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, where Piper was for 32 years, they did a survey of their church. How many people read the Bible? And 47% of the church said they read their Bible five minutes or less per day. Piper said in conclusion of his report, I'm going to guess that there are many people in my church that are harboring deep resentment because they do not see any power of God in their prayer life. And then he said, I think there's a relationship between reading your Bible five minutes a day and a prayer life that's not very powerful. Because I think when Jesus said, if my words abide in you, remain in you, saturate in you, he's probably thinking about somebody who spends a little bit more than five minutes a day with, with God. The more time we meditate on God's word, the more our will will be aligned with his will. Remember John 15, the whole imagery there is you're a branch connected to the vine. Think about this when you read John 15. He's the, he's the vine, you're the branch, and between the vine and the branch is just flowing this life-giving sap. It's keeping you alive. From the vine to the branch, filled with sap. So when we read the word of God, all of the power from heaven flows to us through the sap of the Holy Spirit flowing into our lives as we read the word of God and, tr and conform our life to all that we read. God's power through the sap of the Holy Spirit. Think about the sap of the Holy Spirit, of the breath of God just flowing over all of your thinking and your living and your decision making. The sap of the Spirit controls all that you do. And that person will have great power in prayer. So the secret of a powerful prayer life is to remain with Christ. Let me tell you another way to think of remaining with Christ. There's a story told in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul, toward the end of his life, on a ship, he's in prison, preaching the gospel, headed to stand trial in Rome. He's on a ship that's in a storm. Two weeks, the, the ship has been tossed about in the ocean, and the sailors which are a bunch of other prisoners, 153 of them, are about to jump off the ship into lifeboats because they're afraid of the ship crashing into rocks and everybody dying. The Roman officer who's going to oversee all the prisoners tells Paul, you need to tell all of these men something for me. Acts 27, 31. Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. Same word for stay in Acts 
2731, as we read in John 15, 7. Unless you abide with the ship, unless you remain with the ship, unless you stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. This is what it means to stay with Christ, to not jump ship. Do you know why we jump ship? Because we think that Christ can't save us. So we jump off the ship of prayer because we think that we have to save ourselves. This is prayerlessness. is a declaration. I have to do this myself because Jesus is not going to help me. Intense, pray, intense pain will always tempt you to quit praying. Intense pain will always persuade you, jump ship, run, flee. Whenever you're not praying, it's a disguised form of fleeing and not trusting and not depending. And when you pray, you say, I'm going to stay and I'm going to trust and I'm going to fight. I'm not going to flee. I'm going to remain. I'm going to abide. God brings us to intensely painful moments in our life, not to hurt us, not to abandon us, but to teach us how to pray, maybe for the first time in our life. In the intense moments of our life when we're in pain, it's then that we raise our arms to God and we cry out to God and we reach out to God. And for the first time in our life, it's sometimes the first time we see God and hold the hand of God in a way that we never have. Because we chose to pray and not run, to trust and not flee. And when you pray during painful times, it's going to be some of the messiest times you've ever prayed. When you read about the people that are in pain in Scripture, their praying is messy. The laments of the Bible are messy. They, they're angry at God. They're accusatory in their comments. They're frustrated. They're confused. But the greatest thing what they're doing is they are praying their pain to God. And they're not shutting down to prayerlessness, which is running. The purpose of praying during times of pain is so that you will see Jesus more than you see your pain. Let me say that again. The purpose of praying during suffering times is that you will see Jesus more than you see your pain. I don't think I'll ever make a statement to you that's more difficult to think about applying than that. Is it possible to really so abide with Jesus and remain with Christ that in the midst of my pain, I'll actually see him more than I see my pain? You know, Jesus makes us uncomfortable in John 15, 7. It's a very uncomfortable verse, don't you think? Ask whatever you wish and I'll do. And he exacerbates this by saying it two more times in the book of John, once in verse 14 and then in verse 16. Ask me anything and I'll do it. So, here we are, praying to God, laying out our request. And the response, the answer from heaven sometimes comes back 
so unexpected that it looks like the answer is the opposite thing that we prayed for. What do you do with that? I don't know if I've ever heard an answer articulated better than John Bloom. He says, in those kind of times, our joy doesn't spring from Jesus giving us what we want, but Jesus being what we want. Let's just read this again. I, I, I hardly, I, I, I debated whether or not I was going to bring this statement to you today because it's so profound. I don't know if I get it. I know I don't get it. Our joy doesn't spring from Jesus giving us what we want but Jesus being what we want. When you abide, you remain, stay with Christ. There comes a time in your life when the greatest want in your life is to be with the most beautiful entity in the universe, Jesus. And He will be enough. He will be Enough. I don't know many people that are there in the West, but I know it's possible. We've seen it all around the world. But the more that you hang with Jesus, the more that you will come to believe no one loves you more in life than Jesus Christ. And every gaze of his eyes toward you is one of love. And his plans for you are always one of goodness. And he will be your satisfaction. I want to close on this. One other verse in the New Testament that I think, what, is, what does it mean to abide, remain? How can I abide with Christ? Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. I think this is a picture of what it means to abide with Christ, remain with Christ. One of those random verses, pray without ceasing. The cynic might look at that and say, is that all I'm supposed to do in life is pray? No, because that same book of the Bible says work hard. The rest of the Bible says, calls us to construct things. Other parts of the Bible affirm education knowledge, going, traveling. So this verse does not mean that we walk around with our heads bowed down, but it does mean that we include God in all of our decisions. That prayer is not just a slot in the morning. Prayer is, is the pursuit of the enjoyment of God all day long. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. I love how Scott Hubbard says this. Through prayer, this is a great quote. This is how you pray all the day. We turn every burden into help me. Every pleasure into thank you. Every temptation into deliver me and every opportunity for obedience 
and to strengthen me. That's how you pray always. So let's close today with a verse that we looked at earlier, and we'll just quote it together and commit to being that kind of prayer. I'll say a phrase, and you can say it after me. Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three and a half years. Again he prayed. And the heavens gave rain. And the earth produced crops. For his glory one more time. Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Let's pray to the God of Elijah. Father, only a miracle can cause us to believe that prayer not just works, but prayer is it. Everything you want to do in transforming this city, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, colleges, businesses, families, neighborhoods, inner city, those down and out and up and out. Everything you want to do in worldwide missions. Everything you want to do with water drilling and the distribution of medicine. The distributions of blankets and food. Lord, if there's going to be one young man or woman today that will leave a mosque and believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest prophet. It'll be because someone prayed understanding and desire into that man's heart, and you opened his eyes. Lord, would you save many precious people from the Islamic world today, and they would see that Christ has shed his blood for their sins, and he is the sacrifice. Father, would you go throughout the land of Israel today, awakening the eyes of your Jewish people and cause them to see the scriptures that you had promised in the Old Testament that a sacrifice was coming, a prophet was coming, a servant was coming. God, would you tell them, convince them, persuade them to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Savior, and they would receive him as king. Father, would you do that among Hindus? That they would leave temples today. And they would no longer bow before idols, but they would bow before the God who loves them. The living God who can save them and forgive them. And there is no next life to make up for this life. It's just a life of glory and comfort in the presence of their Savior. And Father, for someone in this room today, they may have come here defiant. They may have come here confused. 
My words may have confused them. Some of my words may have been less than perfect. Father, would you make up for my verbal impotency, my spiritual deficiency? I can't do anything, God, but pray that they would come to life out of the ground. They would be born again. They would see the glory of the the creator of the Son. They would see the glory of the Son of God. A Savior who died on a cross. A Savior who rose from the dead. A Savior who's wanting to give them a clean heart. Would they believe you, O God? Believe you. We pray for that. That today they would open their heart to Christ. It's in His name I pray. Amen.